This is Dr. Randolph Shippon with American Unity Radio, and I am here with somebody else who has America in the name of her podcast, the distinguished Dr. Alexandra Miller, a licensed psychologist who's the host of the Psychology America podcast, which can be found at psychologyamerica.com. And Dr. Alexandra, I'm so glad you're here. It's a privilege to be here and a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Wolf. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you're on because you have given me the opportunity to be on your podcast. I think I was episode three or four. I don't remember. Yeah, but and a lot of and people really enjoyed that episode. So thank you. That's great. I don't even remember what I talked about. But thank you for having me on your <laughs> podcast because I know I know at the time I, I I loved the interview and I loved listening to you, and I love the fact that there's a there's a recording of the two of us talking, and I'm hoping that this is going to be another recording of the two of us talking. So thank I, you. So, I have really so much. enjoyed your podcast, Wolf, and uh, I also like King David a lot. Do you really? I've always liked him, and I I come from the Catholic tradition. But Uh Catholics like Catholics like to talk to people that they admire or would like to model after from Uh the other side, which they call saints. Yes, and there aren't always saints from the Old Testament, and I wondered why. Why not? I really oh. like David. Oh uh, well, so, if it's any, uh, if it's any, if, it's any uh, uh, if I can match you and say that I am a great admirer of uh, of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, I also uh, believe that all the metaphors and all the religions of the world they're speaking a, a shared language, and that shared language was pointed out to us by Carl Jung and. And uh, I'm I'm so very excited to have you uh, joining me on this. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and yourself? Maybe start with yourself, Dr. Alexandra, and talk about what inspired you to get into doing podcasting. Mm. Podcasting is something I thought about for years before starting, and I was held back by fear. Huh. That old, uh, that old enemy, uh, fear. Uh, what, what, why? What, what do you have to be afraid of? I was afraid to start because of this thought, and the thought was, who does she think she is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had. Can I tell you a funny story? I yeah. had somebody in my life, somebody who's supposed to be very close to me, but uh, is not. Um, uh, say that to me almost word for word. Oh, they it, said that when you started your podcast? Uh, just right. in general, but yes, especially when I started my podcast. Yeah. Who do you think you are? You're no better than the rest <laughs> of us. That's what, that's what this person said to me. You're no better. And I said, it's not about being better. I think everybody's a genius. I think everybody has their special gifts. And I think everybody should be proud of their special gifts. So I don't think I'm better. I think I just want to lift everybody up. Well, and and that's how I was thinking of it, too, Wolf. I was thinking about it as a way of being of service, as a way of sharing psychology. Yes, Yes, I love that. And that's that's really what Psychology America is all about, right? 
it is. It's a way to share psychology. And um, I have topics, all the topics that I think of, most of them are things that I'm curious about. And then either I will find someone to interview or I'll talk about it myself. And then sometimes people will approach me about a topic. How many episodes are there so far of Psychology America? Oh, maybe 35. That's great. I I need to count. (laughs) I need to count. But we've talked about virtue. We've talked about forgiveness. uh, We've talked about psilocybin. uh, all, All kinds of topics. Microbiota. When I interviewed the guest about microbiota, she completely changed how I eat. And oh now, before I eat, I think I need to feed my microbiota first. What do they want to eat? Oh, <laughs> so wow. I'll try to eat a vegetable before I eat something else. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've, I've never thought that about it, but that's because I haven't listened to that episode, obviously, and, and I need to now listen to that episode and, and, and start to <laughs> think about it. Um, what a generous thing that you're doing in sharing these wonderful, wonderful insights with people. And also the, the guests that you have are so compelling. I, every time I turn on your podcast, it's somebody else who I've really wanted to listen to before, but it's somebody who I just either never had the chance or sometimes it's somebody I don't know about. But uh, then when, mm. once you learn about the person, you understand why they're on the show. And I just, I've had such a, a, a nice experience being able to listen to your voice. Even when you don't, you don't know that I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you, so thank you. <laughs> and uh, I've also enjoyed listening to you, so uh, thank you also. And I love it when you sing. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's entertaining. Oh, thank your you. Your podcast is entertaining. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me, tell me um, you usually describe something very important to you when you introduce yourself. And you told me about that at the beginning of our talk today. What, you usually introduce yourself as? Oh, are you talking about me, the psychologist, or me, the mother? You, the mother. No. You, oh. the mother. Yes, I have four children, three girls and a boy, and it's a wonderful part of my life. So thank you for bringing them up. Uh, well, uh, I was prompted to by somebody I know, which was you. Um, and, uh, and the truth is that I don't like anybody representing themselves except how they want to be represented. And I know I know that this is such a, a very part of your life such you know your the most important part of your life i would guess is your your children i see caring for them as um i don't own my children i'm a steward i'm a steward to them to their development Mm -hmm. and that changes over time in the same way that families are never the same families are constantly changing Wow. Right? They don't stand still. Just as children are developing, children enter the world of a couple and everything changes. The couple has just negotiated maybe how to live together. And they just got that in order. And then a baby's born. And now they have to renegotiate everything all over again (laughs) because there's a lot more work. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I had a fellow at, at speaking of work, I had a fellow at my um, my other work that I do say to me, listen, if there's anything you want to learn, do it before you have kids because you're never going to be able to learn it after having kids. And I have to tell you, uh, Dr. Alexandra, I I took the advice and I learned ukulele before I had kids. <laughs> um, but to be honest, uh, now I'm I'm studying for the LSAT and I'm gonna go to law school. Really? So yeah. Whoa. yeah. Congratulations. That's so courageous to change your career like that. I'm not sure it's a change. I think it's just a, an addition. I think that what I'm gonna end up doing is uh talking about how people can solve problems not just with their um you know, with their own thoughts about their own lives, but also about how we can change their lives according to the legal system. I think that we have a lot of challenges in the country right now, especially with justice and especially with people knowing what their constitutional rights are. I I think that there are, there's a tension between things like the public health and constitutional rights. There's a tension Hmm. that has occurred in the media um, between people. And so I was I was kind of curious. I, I really did want to get your perspective on this. Your your mm-hmm. podcast is called Psychology America. Yes. And I got to ask you, what's happening to the psychology of America right now? I mean, I figure you're the person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a broad question. What is happening to the psychology of America? And I'm not just talking well, about the negatives. I don't want to go just into the negatives because mm-hmm. I think we can all list the negatives. But you're a you're an optimist. You're one of the I am. most profound optimists I've ever met. And by profound, I mean you've seen the dark side of things and you choose to look at the light side of things. And I know that about you. And so That's true. And so one. And of I things- believe that about humanity. Hmm. I think we're getting better and better as time Neat. goes. Neat. Because I think that a lot of people in this country are looking at it like it's getting worse and worse. And that's all I've ever heard, like, my whole life. No. Think about the Coliseum. Hmm. I always think about that. The first time that I went to Rome, I was concerned because I I felt like – now, I think I was looking at this in a negative way, but I felt that a lot of the monuments were about death or they made me think about death like the catacombs or the Colosseum. And that was a time that we humans would enjoy watching someone get torn up by a lion for fun, Mm. for entertainment. Yes. And I know we're not perfect, but we're not doing that. Well, we're it's not always doing... an outlier, but yeah, there are outliers. Absolutely, there are outliers out there. Um, there are. But, but there one are. of the things that I'm wondering is, are we doing that in our communications? I mean, do we have lions out there tearing up people and communicate? Like oh, one of the yeah. reasons why I've been so hesitant to go into politics myself mm-hmm. is, um, I don't think I could withstand the gaze of the. Uh, of all of the licentious journalism that occurs around yes. taking apart people's personal lives. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I do know what you're talking about. And there will be some people 
that will still enter that world for the right reasons. And that doesn't mean there aren't those that enter for the wrong reasons. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of, I, I think humility, true humility is a wonderful virtue. Mm. And there's strength in that. If you, if you really don't care, if you're really aligned with principles, then you won't worry as much about what people are saying about you. And then you'll just do the right thing. And you won't care if people get angry with you if you feel you're doing the right thing. You won't care uh -huh. as much. You're still human, right? Uh-huh. Well, um, mostly. Mostly, yes. And <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm and speaking for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I, I had I'd mentioned that I was thinking about there are a couple of figures that I think about that are great that that I like to think about that inspire me in politics. Hmm. And when you read about history, and I know you know a lot about history, a lot more than I do. No, I, but, okay. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to accept that premise. But keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but history reminds me. The first thing it reminds me is that life is short and there are kings, great kings, that we today, we have no idea who they are. These names, they were very big and very powerful at the time. But today, we don't know who they are, right? You're about to share an example with me, I think? Oh, I can gladly, I can gladly share a couple examples of people I think are special. Oh, a king that we don't know who they are, who I think was great, um, is a guy named Frederick of Hohenstaufen. That sounds delicious. Where's, where's, <laughs> Ho, where's Hohenstaufen, and does it involve uh, caramelized nuts? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was German. Well, he was raised in Sicily in the 1100s. And he was different in that he learned six languages. And there's oh. a story that he was sent over with the Crusades to go to Jerusalem and to take over. And he was trying to negotiate with them. He said, why don't we just talk about it? Because he'd been mm. exposed to people of all different cultures and languages, and he knew other languages. And because he wanted to talk about it, he got in big trouble. Wow. Because he didn't want to do war and death and destruction? To just kill and destroy and take over. He said, well, if, if we all want to share this piece of land, maybe we can negotiate this. Do you know that I've been saying this? Uh, and, and granted, let's give Hohenstaufen his due, okay, because he was long before me. But I actually <laughs> said that to um, the former uh, chair of Amnesty International USA. I had actually said to him, what do you think about just creating the entire Middle East as a world heritage site and not having any national sovereignty, sovereignty for anyone, which you know I'm a person of a Jewish background. There yes. will come a time in my life when I actually do apply for dual citizenship with Israel because I think mm -hmm. that's just something that I want to do. Yes. But the only reason I'm doing it, to be honest, is to change it from the inside because I think everybody should have a seat at the table. I've always believed this. And so I'm thinking that Hohenstaufen had the same idea. He wanted to get people talking, yeah? 
Yes, he did. And he was called the Antichrist oh at my some God. point. He oh got in God. big trouble. Um, but my point about him is that no one knows who he is hmm. at this, you I, know, today. I mean, except for a delicious pastry. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's a great point. That's a great point because I didn't know before you told me about him. Yeah. Yeah. And yet that's so, the person who was yeah. a great peacemaker. He, yeah, he tried to be. And so stories like that inspire me to remember that no one will remember who I am in the end. And that's okay. That should inspire me to do the right thing and not worry about being known or image. Just do the right thing. Be of service. And my life motto that I try to go by is to love and be loved. That's it. That reminds me of, um, well, hold on a minute. So I've got this here. You know, I, I occasionally have a ukulele around. And, uh, so, yes, you uh, do. So I'm trying to think. There was a boy, a very strange enchanted boy. Washington, too. Oh, I like which him. is real controversial. Yeah, no, but I was thinking about his good qualities. Mm. And humility is definitely one of them. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. So what, what, what does humility mean to you? Can we talk about the virtue of humility? Yes. Let's talk about it. Okay. What is that to you? I wish I had thought about it before you asked me that. No, but, okay. Um, I guess it's putting others or not putting the self at the forefront, but putting 
virtue or goodness or the right thing at the forefront. Mm. That would be something I think about. Yes, yes. And what was it about George Washington that, that, that struck you as so very humble when he was the pride of Mount Vernon, when he was uh, he was a um, master mason. He was uh, the, uh, the the famed leader of the continent of our, of our revolutionary mm-hmm. war and our continental army. So, uh, what would uh, what what struck you as as, uh, as humble about George? Because he made a decision not to continue as president after eight years uh-huh. when he could have. So he put principle before his own power. Hmm. And that's the famous uh, number in the, the, the show Hamilton, which is now on Disney Plus, um, which is uh, teach them how to say goodbye, right? Um, did you catch that? Did you happen to catch Hamilton? I didn't, I, I didn't see Hamilton. You, I wish I did. I haven't seen it. it. It's on Disney Plus. It's so good. It's so good. I would love to see it. Okay. Okay. Now, if it weren't COVID, the next thing I would be doing is inviting you over and we would have a viewing party. Um, but uh, but we all have to yeah. keep each other safe these days, right? Which is you why know. we're on the telephone. I know. For this interview. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, but Washington was influenced by someone else, I believe, who also had a beautiful virtue of humility or of putting principle before self. And that's Lucius Quintius Cincinnati. I'm going to shut up now because I don't know who that is. Uh, preach, preach, sister. Preach. I, I, I would love to share the story because it's a wonderful story. Mm. And Washington, and and when he was a child, they all learned about classical Rome and Greece and stories like this. And I believe he was influenced by this man who was around about 430, 500-ish before Christ. Mm-hmm. And he was a senator for a little while, but then he lost all of his fortune to a wayward son who he had to pay bail for. And he lost all his money, and he was considered to be poor but virtuous. And he was tilling his farm when it was during a time that Rome was in big trouble and they were getting invaded. And there was also some division among the people. And they couldn't handle it themselves. So they approached this guy, Cincinnatus, and said, we need your help. We need to make you dictator for six months. Please. And he said, yes, I'll do it. And he obviously was a good networker because he got the whole city to stop what they were doing He gathered up all the people that could fight. Anyone who couldn't fight, he said, you have to cook. And he found a way to defeat those invaders. But the thing that's interesting about him is that after 16 days, he's like, okay, I did my job. I'm going back to the farm. And he left. He went back to the farm. He was the dictator for 16 days? Yes. That's it. Eight days, two weeks and two days. 
And he could have, like, worked it. Yeah, he could have worked that. He didn't work it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a lot more I could read about it. I mean, one version said that he did that twice. Like, they called him back again for some other problem or invasion, and then he went back to the farm again. But, you know, Washington did the same thing. He he could have worked it. He could have stayed longer. And he said no. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Wow. What a great story and what a great And what I'm interested in more than anything is this idea that 16 days can get the job done. Like, really? <laughs> I haven't been able to. He shut to down the town and they listened. I can't he imagine. said all businesses must stop. Wow. He, I can't he actually even clean my office. Court. I mean, this guy. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And so the lesson is that you you derive you derive lessons in humility. Well, Cincinnatus put civic virtue. He, he wasn't interested in power. He got the job done. He went back to the farm, and so did Washington. And so did a lot of presidents until I guess FDR. FDR yeah. stayed for four terms. So what can we learn? What can we learn about humility and service above self and apply it to today? Because America seems to have a a division problem. I think if we were going to accurately describe the United States of America right now, we might have to call it the divided states. United States again. What What would make us... In the, through this lens, what do you think would happen if we applied virtue to America right now? Well, it certainly helps if our leaders can model that because then it trickles down, right? It's just like in an organization, the leadership can affect the whole group. Hmm. But as an individual, okay, so let's think about individuals that make up our collective. How do we how do we become more humble? Well, we pause when we're having a discussion with others about topics we disagree on. And the psychotherapist that works with me, Brittany Wool, said something really insightful two days ago to me, and it was the concept of resting in your experience before reacting. Oh, I love that. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I don't Rest ever feel, be- I don't ever feel that reacting. way. Tell Brittany Wolf that I might be giving her a call because I think I need a session, and <laughs> I don't know how to rest in my experience because I'm just, too jumpy all the time, but maybe she I don't know if I me. believe that. You, I think you you stop and you think about things before you react. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think Sounds you're a pretty good. thoughtful person. Sounds good to me. Uh, I, I might I might put that on my website now that you said it. But uh, uh, okay. Uh, but in the meantime, the lesson the lesson for America is yes. resting in your experience. Rest before you react. Rest in the experience before you react to the experience. So sit with it. Notice it. Ask questions. 
try to take the other perspective before you react. Just a little more pause. I love it. That that would be something small that we as individuals can do and, and, and that leaders can do too. And in, in all kinds of arenas, right? Like in our personal lives, in our professional lives, in our in our politics. Well, if you want to add more to it, right, we would rest, meaning pause. Then we would think about our deepest values, perhaps what we all agree on. Maybe think about bringing that up with the other person. Think about what you both agree on, what you both want, and you know you both want it. So that's usually a higher principle. Right. Then, then react. This reminds me of the parts model in neurolinguistic programming. The parts yeah. model in neurolinguistic programming is the idea that inside us we have all these different parts, and they have competing uh, intentions. Uh, so when I yeah. explain it to patients, I say, there's a part that wants to eat the chocolate cake. Of course, I'm Jewish, so I have to go right to chocolate cake. The, uh, the, the, <laughs> There's a part that wants to eat the chocolate cake and there's a part that doesn't want to eat the chocolate cake. And the part that wants to eat the chocolate cake says, come on, Bubble, you're going to love the chocolate cake. It's going to be delicious. You're going to enjoy yourself. And you know what? You should have nice things in this world. And then the other part, the other part says, you know, you've been working on that pant size problem. And if you don't eat the chocolate cake, you're going to be able to fit into the $80 jeans that you can't afford. So please, please don't eat the chocolate cake. And in NLP, the lesson is to get these two sides, believe it or not, to discuss it with each other. So you have the person Mm -hmm. hold one representation in one hand as like an icon. So the icon could be a piece of chocolate cake. And Mm -hmm. the other hand would be the icon of the jeans. And then yeah. you have the, you have the genes talk to the cake. Now this sounds really crazy, I know. You have the genes you have the genes talk to the cake and say, and have the genes explain to the cake why uh, it would be better not to eat it. And the cake explains to the genes why it would be better to eat it. And then <laughs> at the end you have but you have this thing in mind. You have this thing in mind that both of these competing impulses want what's best for the overall organism, which is for Mm -hmm. the organism to be happy, for the organism to be happy. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up doing is when you do a parts model exercise, you have the two of them negotiate with each other. And then you land on something like, well, I'm going to eat a quarter of the piece of chocolate cake and hope that I fit in the jeans in two days as opposed to one day. (laughs) What do you think of that? Because that's shared values. That's shared values. In other words, we both want the organism to be happy. Don't deprive the person of the, <laughs> the <case>. organism. <laughs> but don't but don't deprive the organism of the genes either. It needs to be a sexy eating organism. I I like it because you're giving voice to things that already exist. The the right. person or the organism has both of those paradoxical things within them, right? that are competing. And I think we do need to talk about both sides all the time, and we need to be able to have the conversation for sure. I agree. And this applies to just about anything. Like let's say you have – okay, let's say I have a patient and she's in – Sorry, sorry. 
I, I had to leave the house because my son decides to play the piano when I'm on the phone with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> what were you saying? What were you saying about it in a patient situation? So um, let's say I have a patient and she's in a, a horrendously abusive relationship. I don't like the way she's treated. Right. And that's really clear to me. It's very clear. I can't just take the position that says, you need to break up with him. That won't work. She's already hearing that from her mother, her friends, and everyone, right? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's better to, to have her give voice. What are the reasons to go? And what are the reasons to stay? You have to let her give voice to both sides so it comes from within herself because otherwise if you only give voice to one side then the person polarizes in a position against the other side so you have to make room to hear both sides and i suppose we could apply that to america oh my gosh make room yeah we need to make room to talk to each other and it, it it's not so easy, right, when emotions are involved. I don't think it's so easy when the media is involved. Um, I, have, I have a notion that human beings are attracted to conflict because if we weren't attracted to conflict, then we wouldn't have plots, and if we didn't have plots, then we wouldn't have dramatic performance, and if we didn't have dramatic performance, we would be bored. And I feel like what's happened in our politics is that it's given way from virtue to entertainment value. Virtue goes, it just goes straight to team sports. I mean, you know, you root for your team no matter what. And, and I'm not sure that the, the, the people rooting for their teams even like their teams that much. It's a source of meaning and conversation. And I guess it's it's meeting that need. It's better than looking at someone getting devoured by a lion, but it's still a way to root for something and to have something to talk about with your friends mm. or your family. But you're saying you would rather if people talked about something else other than their teams. Is I would like it if we could talk about what we all agree on. I, I mean, I'd love it if America could could agree on something like you know, we all should have great education, great health care. We should have great freedoms. We should have a great military. We should have a great, a great respect for human life uh, at all levels. And we should, we should strive always as a society, all of us, to become more virtuous, like you're talking about, rather than um, picking your winners and losers and then saying it's okay they're for the other side but we've got to protect our side yeah well see these are individual reporters like when we say it's the media i don't see it as one big conglomerate it's it's a bunch of separate entities making decisions on what they think people want to read so they are us i don't think it's us versus them (laughs) <laughs> they reflect the demand that we as American people give, and they're giving it to us. I have, we are. I have a different point of view just because I was a journalist for a while. And what, yeah? I, knew, what I knew is that the standard in journalism usually is newsworthiness. 
And newsworthiness right. is what will people read that will capture their attention. And when I was trained, one of the things that I was taught by Robert Carlton Cole, who was New Jersey professor of the year sometime around the year, like 1992 or somewhere in that area. Um, Oh, he was from Trenton State College at the time, and then it became the College of New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a a big man from, I believe, the hills of West Virginia, uh, stood at six foot, I think he was six five. He was from the hills. Yeah, he was easily. He was easily, I don't know, three seventy five, and he was brilliant. Big guy, yeah. He was brilliant, and Mm -hmm. he was a lion when it came to the First Amendment. And I tried to emulate him a little bit. Yeah. um, And one of the things that he taught us was that newsworthiness usually means that it, and unfortunately this is true, newsworthiness normally means that you're confirming people's prejudices. People will normally Mm -hmm. pick up and read only what they are preconditioned to read, which reminds me, there's a man by the name of Robert Cialdini who wrote a book, I think that's how his name is pronounced, who wrote a book called, uh, first he wrote a book called, hold on, The Psychology of Influence. He wrote that book Mm -hmm. like, like 25, 30 years ago. It was recommended to me by my mentor, Ron Klein, who taught me clinical hypnosis. Um, And then recently he just released another book called Presuasion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I I read uh, a summary of Presuasion. Yeah. Well, go on. Well, the um, the idea is that you set the frame for something um, mm-hmm. in such a way that people um, expect uh, to see certain things. And so if you set the frame for something, then ultimately mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're sort of uh, giving people what they expect now. And it, it sort of, it almost completes the loop. It almost, it almost completes the Zygarnik effect, which is closing the loop on something. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that? an example from that book, I think. Yes, I think it's, um, let's say you're trying to sell someone an expensive set of knives. And you know that they might get shocked at how much these knives are going to cost. But the way that you prepare the person is by asking them about a different recent purchase, which you know will cost more. So, they just spent $200 on something else, and you ask them to think about that and talk about that product, and now they've been anchored into $200. And then you present them with a $95 knife set, and they're more likely to buy it. Exactly. That's an example from that book exactly. of setting it up. Um, exactly. And I think that what we've done is we've set up our, our, our country. I think that we have a setup in our country where it's no matter which side you're on or if you're on a side or not on a side, the people that you're tuning into, unless it's really trying to be fair and balanced, are trying to sell you something that you already know. And I really wish it wasn't that way. And I don't know how to make it not that way except to maybe – refocus 
on our commonalities. Refocus yeah. on what makes us all great. I mean, when I grew up, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, patriotism was like a different thing. It wasn't right or left. It was it was almost incidentally important whether you were a Democrat or a Republican. It wasn't the kind of focus that it is now, you know? Yeah. Did you see the research that said that people are more likely to discriminate against uh, the spouse or the, the, um, the, the potential spouse of a child um, based on their politics now than any other factor? No, I didn't. Like race, religion, even religion. Like that that's know. the biggest that would be the biggest source of discrimination <clears throat> would be their party. Yes. Wow. No, no, I didn't know that. And so I just wonder if maybe we're losing the forest through the tr- for the trees, you know, if if we're sort of dividing ourselves against ourselves and enjoying the conflict because rah rah for my side. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we're missing out on the fact that everybody actually needs, you know, everybody needs to rise together. You can't separate into these artificial factions, which is exactly what Washington said at the end of his farewell address. Mm. Washington said you probably shouldn't have political parties, what he called factions. Alexander Hamilton wrote that speech, and Alexander Hamilton was in a faction and so it had to Hmm. be difficult for him to write down what his commander was saying about you probably shouldn't have sides in the first place because we've won the war and now we have to unite that's the whole point of being the united states i appreciate that you are doing what you can wolf to try to make that change, you know, to move us more into becoming purple people, as you say. I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> <Purple people> idea. <laughs> Thanks. I don't think it's original. Actually, you know, there's a, a funny story about that. I got the idea because I was listening to NPR, and there was a guy who came on to, I don't know what show it was, if it was All Things Considered or something like yeah. that, but he was talking about his store, which is called The Purple Store. And I am actually hoping to get this fellow on my program because uh, I don't know where even where his store is, but apparently everything that he sells is purple. Oh, <laughs> isn't that go. the best? And what he <laughs> said was that um, purple has its own following, just as a color. You know, either you're a purple person or you're not. Like either you love it or you <laughs> kind of don't. And. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, it, it's what made me think about it because he said, yeah, well, when you combine, you know, different colors, you get, you know, and he was giving a list of colors that combine into purple. And I was like, maybe that's what we have to do with red, white, and blue, you know, and that's where that idea came from. That was so, very creative. Uh, well, I think I, I might have stolen it from him. So I feel kind of bad. You can find him. You will <laughs> find that man. Yeah. I'm sure I will. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Well, Alexander, I, I am so I'm so tickled and delighted that you came on the program. What is there <laughs> is there one thing that you would want in closing for people to understand about your perspective on things right now? Your perspective. Here we are. Uh, the date, according to my watch, is July the thirtieth, and 
what is what is one thing that if I could just give voice to something that you want to give voice to besides psychologyamerica.com, the most wonderful psychology <laughs> podcast in the United States of America by Dr. Alexandra. Um, besides that, which was a total pitch for you, um, <laughs> what would you want people to to remember that you said? Hmm. Well, Wolf, if you wanted to talk about how we converse about politics, I would take Brittany's quote, which is, rest in your experience before reacting. And if you wanted to talk about life overall, it would be about how can you seek to love and be loved. That's beautiful. It would be just that. That's so beautiful and so elegant. And, um, oh, okay, so are you. And thank you for being on the program. And I'm <laughs> Thank so you grateful. for having me. This was great. Thank you. What a privilege to so grateful. just chat with you over a recording. <laughs> over a recording. Alexandra, thank you again. Uh, anybody can catch Dr. Alexandra's podcast on psychologyamerica.com or anywhere that plays podcasts. Just ask for the Psychology America podcast. Alexandra, Thank you, thank you, thank you, and I hope you'll consider coming on the program anytime you want, and uh, I'm so grateful that, that you had the time for us today. I would love to. Have a great night, Wolf. All right, you too. Thank you again. Thank you, too. Bye. Bye-bye.